Welcome to the Bit by Bit Podcast. I am your narrator, Sarah. The three main goals of this podcast are one, to share the works of fiction that don't get mainstream media attention by authors that are not well known, two, to entertain those listeners who want a little spice in their life, and three, to provide a free platform for people who are too cheap or too lazy to go out and buy the actual book. But don't worry, we don't judge. This is basically us in a nutshell. Disclaimer real quick, folks. Some of our stories feature mature subjects, violence, profanity, or topics of a sexual nature. Listener discretion is always advised. This podcast is definitely not rated PG. All of the books that we feature on the show will be available for purchase on Amazon and other platforms. Let's jump into today's episode. The boys in her town were all the same. Most of them were stereotypical country boys. She picked Connor not because she found him particularly unique, but because he was cute and seemed harmless. He was also what was considered a good catch, being a simple boy from a good family. From the beginning, he seemed like he had no aspirations, and that was fine for Jane. She didn't want him forever. She only wanted him for the here and now. Excerpt from Diverging Paths by Julia Swan. Chapter 7. Past. Despite my ideas about boys, somehow I always knew that Peter was different. There was something in his eyes that I didn't see with any of the other guys. That didn't mean that I wanted to go out with him as many of the other kids were starting to do. Neither was it evident that Peter wanted anything other than the most casual of friendships with me. Besides our interactions in class, he never went out of his way to talk to me or get to know me. As my second summer in Snohomish wound down, I reflected on my new life in a small town and what kind of changes had happened. On the whole, the changes were good, but not all were positive. Ramona had moved on to a new group of friends and didn't even answer my letters anymore. Once I realized our friendship was officially over, I sank into a bit of depression and spent most days watching television or reading a book alone in my room. When my mom suggested we go to Clahaya Days that year, I was not particularly enthusiastic about leaving the house. True, the local street fair had been fun in previous years, but I didn't really have any friends and didn't want to be made fun of for going with my family. It seemed like we were all fast approaching the age when it was no longer cool to participate in activities with parents. Additionally, everyone I knew was going with friends or boyfriends. I felt like I was the only one going with my family. On the other hand, I had always been a rebellious person and I was not about to let my classmates dictate what I was allowed to do regardless of how much I wanted them to like me. By the time we finally made it to the fair, the July festivities were in full swing. There was face painting, a petting zoo, lots of games, food booths, and at least a dozen more rides than there had been the previous year. After winning me a huge stuffed animal in a ring toss game, my dad gave me $20 to buy tickets for the rides. Although I was reluctant at first, after the first couple of rides, I was forced to admit I was actually glad to be out enjoying the beautiful summer day. With a big pink blob of cotton candy and a huge green frog tucked under my arm, for the first time since we moved, I realized I was happy. Standing by the Ferris wheel, I even let my mom take a few pictures with her new Polaroid camera. I grinned and waved as she took the picture and then blew on it as it developed. Ever since she'd gotten it the previous Christmas, she went through a dozen packs of film every month. I had to laugh. She had way too many pictures of me either sticking out my tongue or waving my hands to prevent her from taking my picture. She took a few more of me with Dad's winnings, and we headed to one last ride before going home. As the sun went down, the sky had turned bright pink, and the sound of carnival music was pulsing through the crowds. We decided to end the day with a family ride on the Ferris wheel. I got in line as my mother and father stood nearby laughing and looking at the pictures my mom had taken so far. It was our turn to get on the Ferris wheel next, but when I turned, my parents were about 10 feet away instead of right next to me in the line. My mom waved and held up a corn dog. Go ahead, honey. 
We'll wait for you here until you get done. The man in charge of the ride pushed up the heavy metal safety bar and helped me get into the car. He was thin as a reed with a pair of dirty denim overalls covering his sparse frame. He wore no shirt and his arms were corded like rope. I guessed him to be in his early 60s with a balding head of hair and a gap-toothed smile. Instead of closing the safety bar and letting me ride alone as was normal, he turned to the people waiting in line. Can we get another single rider so this little lady doesn't have to go on the ride alone? I scooted down, intending to hop down from the ride without further embarrassment, but the carnival worker glanced down the line of people waiting to ride the Ferris wheel and honed in on one. How about you, young man? Care to ride with the lady? The boy in question was dressed in a pair of dark wash jeans and a black t-shirt with Woody Woodpecker on the front. It was Peter. His face was completely blank as he let the carnival worker draw him forward. Right then I wanted to crawl under the spokes of the Ferris wheel and let it crush me to death. The crowd cheered enthusiastically as Peter climbed into the seat beside me and let the worker pull the safety bar down. I gripped the bar and looked ahead without saying anything. The most I could hope for was that he would not say a word, but I was not that lucky. Riding the Ferris wheel by yourself, he asked with a half smile. I could not tell whether he was making fun of me or not. I thought my parents were going to ride, I said lamely, searching the crowd below for their faces as we swung higher and higher into the air. Being forced to sit on a ride with a boy I barely knew had pretty much killed any ability I might have had to conduct a normal conversation. Peter didn't seem to be afflicted with the same problem. He was surprisingly friendly. Having a good summer so far? It was not that he wasn't a nice guy. He had always been cordial in school, polite but distant. Since I didn't really know how to act around boys, distance was fine with me. But now he was just inches away, gripping the same Ferris wheel bar and asking how my summer was. Fine, I mumbled looking away and hoping normal color would return to my face soon. The truth was, I actually liked Peter Daughtry. I always had. I'd come to the realization that summer and hoped that I would see him at the local street fair. It was the first time I'd ever had a crush on a boy, and I discovered I had no idea how to act around him. So I guess you're not going back to Seattle, he ventured, teasingly referring to our first meeting at the pool. I turned to him and saw his broad smile, braces and all. His long eyelashes were casting spiky shadows against his cheeks. I licked my lips and instantly regretted messing up the orange lip gloss I had so carefully applied earlier. I had even experimented with mascara and some light blue eyeshadow. I wondered if he thought I looked grown up. No, we are staying, I told him, biting my lip, unsure of what else to say. Maybe we'll have some classes together next year, he told me, looking down at the ground and waving at someone. That'd be nice, I said with a nervous giggle. I hoped my carefully fluffed hair was staying in position. I'd sprayed half a can of Aquanet hairspray on it before I left the house. That way I can make fun of you some more, he laughed, punching me in the arm. I didn't even know, he didn't even know I was alive most of the time. Um, okay, I managed, weakly starting to feel the corn dog I'd gobbled earlier churning uncomfortably in my stomach. Suddenly he was serious, his eyes catching mine as he watched me. You're fun to tease, he told me with a wink. I am? I wondered out loud. He laughed again. Yeah, you get all embarrassed and red-faced. It seemed mean of him to point all this out. I was beginning to wish I'd never gotten in line at the Ferris wheel. That's super lame, I groaned, wishing I was anywhere but on the Ferris wheel with Peter Daughtry. The ride came to a slow stop, and our car was finally at the bottom of the ride. The carnival worker lifted the safety latch and grinned at us as if he knew some secret that the three of us shared. We were free to leave the car. Peter was the first to get up and move away. I waited for him to leave the area, hoping he wouldn't make fun of me with his friends later. Before I could find my parents, Peter turned back. Hey, Julia, he shouted above the noise of the crowd. I turned back, meeting his eyes as he moved back towards me. He was standing in front of me. You shouldn't be embarrassed. I think you're cute. It was loud enough for me to hear and only me. And with that, he disappeared into the crowd. After that, I watched him in the crowd and waited for him to speak to me again, but it never happened. 
To my disappointment, we spent the next three years in the same junior high school, but as strangers. We had no classes together, and our friends ran in different circles. Even worse, Peter got moved up into advanced placement classes while I was stuck with all the average students in the regular classes. I went to all the school dances, hoping to catch a glimpse of Peter, to perhaps dance a slow dance with him, or even just talk. But he never came to the extracurricular events, and I only saw him passing in the halls. Pretty soon, the memory of that summer at Glahaya fleeted into the distance, and I started to think maybe I had imagined it. By the time we made it to high school, Peter and I had three classes together. There was no way he would avoid noticing me when we were together for three hours or more a day. However, when the student population doubled, we soon found ourselves in a much bigger campus with many more distractions. Even so, it appeared that Peter was suddenly involved in all the same things I was interested in, student government, honor society, volunteering, even choir. At first, I relished the new opportunity to be seen and noticed. I was starting to have the curves that I'd waited for since I was a little girl, and my mom was finally letting me wear makeup. I wanted to show off my new guest jeans and the pale pink lip gloss I'd gotten over the summer, but there was one big problem. Despite us having many of the same activities during the day, Peter pretty much ignored me at every possible opportunity for conversation. Even worse, whenever I tried to make eye contact, he looked away. Was he playing hard to get? There was no way he could not have known my class schedule, so he could not have intentionally picked the same classes. Something had to be done to get his attention. But what? For weeks, I imagined scenarios where I spoke to him, happened to be somewhere where he was, or found a clever way to start conversation. We could talk about a movie, Pretty Woman, Total Recall, Ghost. For the first time in our lives, we were watching adult movies, and there was plenty of sexy adult themes for us to talk about. Surely he had gone to the movies recently. My parents had drugged me to every $2 matinee that the Snohomish Theater offered. The musty old seats had been used for decades, but still brought in city residents every week for the cheap prices, fresh popcorn, and stale candy. I went every Friday night, hoping to run into Peter, with no luck. Everything was decided for me a few weeks after the second semester of our sophomore year. Peter and I both played basketball, and the two teams rode the same bus to and from games. On the bus home from that week's game, I told my friend Cindy that I had a crush on Peter before making her pinky swear she would never tell a soul. Predictably, Cindy could not keep her mouth shut, and by the following week, everyone knew my secret. The next time we had an away game, I had to ride with 20 other kids who sniggered and talked about me behind their hands. It was as if no one had ever had a crush before. No one would even remember the event in a few days, but I hated when anyone laughed at me. I heard someone say Peter's name loudly, along with something else that I couldn't understand. A dozen whispers followed. My face flamed as I tried to pretend that I didn't hear people talking as I climbed onto the bus. As I made my way to find a place to sit, I could see Peter seated in the front of the bus talking to one of his friends. Silently, I prayed for him to look at me. I had the ridiculous notion that if he did, it would mean he felt something for me, or that he somehow reciprocated my crush. I walked as slowly as I could before the girl in back of me lost patience and shoved me forward with her backpack. Unfortunately, Peter did not look up when I passed. That was sign enough for me that he did not feel the same. Though a, big, though a big part of me was relieved that I didn't have to hide my secret any longer, the bigger part of me was humiliated to have it broadcast loudly in front of everyone. I slinked to the back of the bus and wanted to disappear. I tucked my flushed face into the seat in front of me, dreading the long ride ahead. The cold metal of the seat back soothed my flushed face. The ride to Oak Harbor would be about an hour, and I would have the long trip alone with my thoughts. The bus driver shouted for everyone to take a seat, and I prayed I would be left alone to lick my wounds. At the last moment, I felt the seat move next to me. Thinking it was someone who wanted to tease me further, I jerked my head up, preparing to give the offender a piece of my mind. It was Peter. Mercifully, he didn't say anything as he sat down beside me and pulled my hand into his. 
Jane's father seemed to know exactly how to get to the heart of the matter without stepping on toes or raising hackles. He knew precisely what the issue was that day, too, and for that, Jane was thankful. Everyone around her seemed to be afraid to talk about real issues for fear of offending or upsetting her delicate sensibilities. She knew her father didn't give a damn about anything delicate or sensible. Excerpt from The Long Road Home by Julia Swan. Chapter 8. Present. I woke the next morning with a vicious headache and hunger pangs shooting through my stomach. A large greasy pizza from Alfie sounded amazing, but the consequences of eating that many calories didn't. I would have given my left arm to eat the way I had growing up and not gain a pound. Now I was cranky, hungry, and as irritable as a small child. Going to bed without dinner was just as bad now as it had been all those years ago. The previous evening's confrontation instantly played back in my mind. I was back in Snohomish and Peter hated me. Rolling over, I slipped my feet into slippers and threw a heavy wool sweater over my pajamas. I needed to figure out what to eat and how to repair the damage to my relationships. Taking a cup of coffee, I stood on the front porch and looked out on the neighborhood contemplatively. Fall mornings in the Pacific Northwest were undeniably chilly, and I shivered as I pulled my sweater down over my cold knuckles. I was used to San Diego, where balmy fall morning temperatures tended to linger in the 70s and 80s. This morning, there was a layer of frost covering the bushes in front of the house. Everything looked like it was covered in fairy dust as I leaned over and grabbed the morning paper. Ignoring the destroyed flower beds, I turned back to the house and tried to gather my scattered thoughts. Mom was up and gone. Although both of my parents were semi-retired, Thursdays were her volunteer days at the library. I knew Dad would be in the garage puttering with his projects until dinner. I would check on him later, but first I went to the kitchen hoping for some leftovers. Suspiciously, there was nothing to eat, not even a sliver of the previous night's meatloaf. The light maple table was scrubbed clean and the worn chairs were pushed in. Grumbling at the lack of basic morning preparations, I decided to check on Dad instead of lingering in the empty kitchen. Shuffling to the garage, I found him leaning over a work table, sanding a wooden surface. Hey, Pop, I greeted him with a kiss on his leathery cheek. My dad smelled like Old Spice wood chips and peppermint. He offered me a peppermint from the pocket of his flannel shirt in a grandfatherly sort of way. It was just the sort of thing that would have appealed to my non-existent children. I wondered if he was thinking the same thing. Taking the men, I felt a small pang of regret. Maybe I should have taken a break to find a husband, have a kid or two. Maybe it was selfish of me to work on my career instead of a family. Everyone knew the good daughters were supposed to meet someone, fall in love, get married, and reproduce. My father read my thoughts and gave me a small smile of sympathy. No regrets, sweetie. There's no room for them. Picking up a few wood chips, I inhaled their sweet cedar smell and rubbed them between my fingers. They were light and dry, nearly crumbling in the cold air. Sometimes I wonder, I trailed off. He paused at his task and looked up at me. Wonder what? I leaned on the workbench. If I made the right choice in leaving here, in going on my own to figure things out. He chuckled as he popped another peppermint into his mouth. It's not too late. I hoped he wasn't talking about Peter. Oh, Dad. Seriously? My father had a way of never losing hope, even years later when it seemed a concept had long ago ended. I think he was still convinced the Seattle Mariners would win a World Series or that the Supersonics would come back to the key arena. At this point, both of these alternative options had a better chance of occurring than I had of getting married and having children. My father shrugged and held his tongue. No comment, he said with a grin. He also knew instinctively, as well from years of experience, when he should abandon an argument and let the swan women have the final word. I changed the subject. I'm starving. Want some breakfast? I was thinking a quick little trip over to the Cabbage Patch restaurant to grab some food. He looked up at me from beneath his bifocals. It's shopping day for your mother. There isn't anything in the house. He looked at me out of the corner of his eye. Although, I hear they have some of those yummy peaches from Yakima over the Daughtry store. Frowning, I leaned back against his workbench. Really? He ignored my skeptical look. You could also pick up some fresh corn for dinner. Your mom was just saying she wanted to get some. I looked at my father suspiciously, but he had turned back to his work and seemed suddenly preoccupied with sanding. 
Okay, you want anything else? I had a meatloaf sandwich already, he said, looking up with a knowing grin. Instantly, I knew where the leftovers had gone. He started whistling and I knew what that meant. He always whistled the same jaunty little song when one of his plans was coming to fruition. Dad, I said sternly, you know that whatever was there between me and Peter is long gone. My dad looked up, an innocent expression on his wrinkled face. I know, honey, he replied with a slight hurt look on his face. His once black hair was now heavily gray at the temples and thinning out along his crown. He also wore bifocals, tilting his head slightly to adjust to his new prescription. My once young parents were now senior citizens, and I suddenly felt guilty for staying away so long. There were a lot of things I regretted doing in my younger years, and I was trying to make up for my youthful stupidity. However, I had to stay strong on the Peter issue, or Mom and Dad would plan and scheme all sorts of embarrassing things. This would mean all sorts of events where they threw me and Peter together shamelessly. Unfortunately, these sorts of tactics only worked in the movies. I drew a line in the sand and firmly stood by it. You guys can't keep inviting Peter over for dinner. My dad's expression didn't change. He picked up a block of wood and covered it in sandpaper, started smoothing a table leg with even strokes. A fine sheen of fragrant wood dress began to drift down to the table below him. Julia, first of all, we own this house and we can have anyone we want over for dinner. And secondly, he only came over once. There's no reason for you to get all flustered, he told me, not unkindly. I sat down on a stool next to him and fiddled with the red metal clamp. Tiny particles of paint were chipping off. I poked at one with my fingernail and it flaked off onto the floor. I didn't mean that, Dad, and you know it. He looked up, his hazel eyes meeting mine. What did you mean? I had a feeling he already knew exactly what I was trying to say. Meatloaf dinners and beers are not going to change the past, Dad, and they certainly won't change the way Peter and I feel about each other now. He rearranged his face into a surprised expression. Don't tell your mother, he whispered. She thinks her meatloaf would bring the world together in perfect harmony. I laughed and moved from the seat to hug my dad. His jacket was loose and so were the coveralls beneath. He seemed much thinner than he had been the last time I had seen him. It probably could, I laughed. A lot has changed, though, Dad. We stood face to face looking at the workshop spread out in front of us. Dad had a few projects that he was working on, just like he always had. In one corner there was a lawnmower engine that he'd taken apart. It was sitting atop a couple of stools and leaking a trickle of oil into a pan below. In another corner was a pile of chairs that he intended to refinish. Ultimately, Mom would have liked to use them for formal dining table, but they'd been sitting in the workshop for years and there was no sign of progress. All around us, Dad's neat workshop gleamed with pleasant memories. There were rows of nails and specialty screws lined up above his workbenches in small jars. A whole wall was covered in hand tools, different types of hammers, and carving implements. From the ceiling, various articles of furniture hung, waiting for Dad to make them come alive or serve a purpose once more. I wished life were that easy, that I could just pull things off a shelf and put them back to use in my life again as easily as Dad did with a chair or a tool. Can you please talk to Mom? Make sure she isn't thinking when I'm sure she's thinking about Peter. My dad rubbed the bridge of his nose and then ran a hand through his thinning hair. You know it isn't that easy, Julia. He was right. My mom was stubborn and she had a mind of her own, two traits I'd gotten from her and used quite successfully to become the woman that I was today. I persisted. I just need to know that I'm not going to find Peter at our house every night. My dad looked up at me with raised eyebrows. He was the same as he always had been. Peter was here one night. Do you think you might be overreacting just a tad bit here, Julia? He was partially right, but I also knew my mom and I knew what she was thinking. I was pretty sure that my dad did too. Pop, I've been back for two days and he was already here the first night. He looked thoughtful, but he was always diplomatic. You know that he always stayed in contact with us, Julia. We didn't just cut him out of our lives because you moved away. He's a good kid, and that's why we have stayed in touch through the years. Surely you don't expect me to stop talking to him because you decided to finally come home. My face flushed with guilt and regret. It felt like my family loved Peter more than me, and I suppose that I deserved it. 
In all fairness, I had walked away, leaving the pieces to fall where they may. Did I really have any right to tell any of them what to do after I came back 20 years later? This was my dilemma, and I was willing to take my lumps, but having Peter around was an uncomfortable prospect. Never once had I considered the inevitable reality that Peter would still be here, and still be hanging around our kitchen. It was a reminder of the selfish younger me who hurt people and caused irreparable damage. Now, I was being forced to acknowledge my feelings, and I felt guilty as hell for what I did all those years ago. There was not much I could do about the past, but I knew where to start for the here and now. I really am sorry, Dad. I hope you know that. He grabbed me with his big dusty hands and pulled me into a warm hug that smelled like wood chips, tobacco, and peppermint. I know, sweetheart. You just need to give everyone else some time. I pulled away slightly, still letting my dad hold me against his scratchy wool coat. I shuffled my feet in my sheepskin slippers and tried to think about what I would need to get done for the day. This conversation was a start. Peter crept back into my thoughts. I just didn't expect for mom to have Peter over on my first night back. Drawing my face up to his, he kissed me on the forehead. I know you feel guilty, Julia, but you're just going to have to deal with the way things are now. Peter didn't leave town just because you left. He stayed here and ran the store just like he always wanted to. I know you think he was here pining away from you, but that was hardly the case. He's changed too, and I think it's for the better. I moved away from the counter and stuffed my hands into the pockets of my baggy jeans as I eyed him suspiciously. So no one has any ulterior motives with regard to me and Peter? A huge grin split his face from ear to ear. As much as you would like it to be, everything is not about you, Julia. You always were such a selfish little girl, he teased, throwing a piece of sandpaper at me. I knew he was joking, but I could not help but think perhaps he was right. Okay, I need to get some work done, I told him, picking up the sandpaper and setting it down on his workbench. Will you get the peaches and corn for your mom, he asked as I headed for the door. I turned back. You were serious, I asked, reluctant to see Peter again. He grinned. Yep. Mom left money on the kitchen table. Okay, Dad, text me if you think of anything else. I shut the garage door behind me and headed for the house. The truth of what he said was echoing in my mind. I was selfish, and I always had been. Perhaps I was the product of being an only child, spoiled and given everything I wanted. Perhaps I would have been that way regardless of my upbringing. There was no way to be sure. Getting into my car, I headed for the store, produce stand, that Peter's family owned for three generations. Daughtry Brothers Grocery and Produce stood on the corner of 1st Street, where it was dissected by D Street. The building, originally built in 1915, was one of the first stores in the area and had been the only general store in a 20-mile radius for over 50 years. Top Foods and Safeway had taken away a big chunk of their customers, but there were still many loyal older folks who came to the store for their groceries. Not much had changed in three generations. The front of the store was dominated by a large fruit stand covered in local produce. The back of the store was composed of neat rows of hand-carved and locally crafted fixtures. Once upon a time, the back of the store had offered a wide variety of items like fabrics, flour, nuts, clothing, and gardening tools. Today, the fixtures still stood in their original positions, but the antique shelves were now lined with canned goods, flowers, various grocery items, and local area souvenirs. There were also pool toys, t-shirts, rubber shower shoes, and other items catering to tourists that liked to hit the little store on their way out of town. As I parked my Lexus on the street in front of the store, I wondered if there was any chance that Peter would not be there. Years ago, his dad had been the face of the business, and had spent hours in the store talking to customers and restocking the shelves. It only stood to reason that Peter had probably taken over that spot since becoming an adult. It was why he wanted to stay in Snohomish and the reason for the rift between us. I closed my car door and looped my purse over my shoulder. The corn my mom had requested was sitting in a large portable stand on the sidewalk. A cardboard sign sat beside it offering six ears for a buck. Despite competition from the local competitors, the price for corn at Daughtry's had not changed in 20 years. I scooped up an armful and turned to look for a basket. Behind the counter, Peter stood watching me from beneath dark brows. Dropping the corn into a black plastic basket, I ignored Peter and turned back to look for peaches. A row of pots in front of me reminded customers to prepare for the winter season. 
As I smelled a ripe peach, I remembered being here as a kid and as a young woman. Peter and I had spent many afternoons here helping Peter's dad pile stacks of fruit and clean up the aisles. Smiling at the memory, I dropped a couple of ripe peaches into my basket. Peter was beside me in the blink of an eye. You always did throw the fruit around like it was a sack of dirty laundry, Peter grumbled as he grabbed the basket I had propped against my hip. Those peaches are going to be all bruised up and mushy if you keep doing that. Gently but efficiently, he added six ripe peaches to my basket, as well as a few bags of Italian plums he knew my mom loved. I have two more boxes in the back that I'm saving for, he told me with a familiar smile. It was tradition for my mom to collect the plums every summer and freeze them so she could make her famous plum pies as Christmas gifts. They came in once a year in the fall, and she usually bought as many as the store would give her. We moved to the register. Peter's aftershave tickled my nostrils, and I had to dig my fingernails into my palms to stay focused. I told myself I was overreacting. There was no ulterior motive here. There was no ulterior motive here. We had both moved on, and Peter was just being nice. Thank you, I told him as I pulled out my wallet. He waved my hand away. It's on the house. Your dad did some repairs to our back shelves last week, and we agreed to swap for produce. Surprise, surprise. Evidently, both my mom and dad had closer ties to Peter than I had anticipated. To the unpracticed eye, all of it seemed like ordinary stuff that friendly neighbors would do for each other. I narrowed my eyes. I knew my parents, and my mother in particular, was very good at getting people to do what she wanted. But then again, maybe I was overreacting. I thanked Peter again and moved to leave. His hand reached across the counter and rested on mine. I told your mom I would help her with her garden. I hope you don't mind. I looked up and met his eyes. Why would I mind? I looked as casually as possible, but I already had the answer. I did mind. The problem was, I was rebuilding the trust of people I had hurt years before, and for that reason alone, I knew I had no say in the matter. Peter seemed instantly suspicious. I don't know, he began, searching my face, eyes narrowed. He always was more perceptive than I gave him credit for. You seem annoyed about the whole situation, like me being around bothers you. I chuckled and tried for a neutral tone. I know that you've stayed in touch with my parents. I was just surprised, that's all. About what? he asked, leaning against the counter and crossing his arms. He was wearing a standard Northwest staple of plaid flannel and various shades of red and black. His close-cropped beard sat in stark contrast to the smooth skin of his lightly tanned chin and cheeks. I'd always been jealous of how great his skin was. Besides the beard, the way he looked suddenly reminded me of 20 years ago when we'd stood in the same spot and talked about our future. Coming back after being gone for 20 years was definitely an event that was both nostalgic and confusing. I wasn't sure what I expected, but it certainly was not to have my ex-boyfriend drop down on my lap after all this time. Never mind, I told him swiftly. It was best not to get into conversations about the past, especially when it appeared that most of the problems were in my head. I'm going to head over to McDaniel's tomorrow at 11. Want to swing by? A teenage boy popped his head out from the back room. He looked to be about 15 with red hair and freckles. Hey, Peter, I'm here. You want me to start with the boxes back here? He addressed the young boy with a wave and a smile. It was nice to see Peter working with local kids to give them jobs and keep them out of trouble. I'll be there in a minute, Adam. His grandfather had started the tradition years before, and it was not unusual for him to have three or four high school kids helping at the shop throughout the year. Turning back to me, Peter looked conflicted. It's probably better I meet you there. Determined not to read too much into his words, I agreed and turned to leave. Thanks for all your help. See you tomorrow. All he knew was the singular path from birth to work to marriage to death. Where she had once been amused by his simplicity, Jane now looked at him with disdain because she knew he would never be the kind of man that could satisfy the hidden parts of her. She longed for romance, passion, and extravagant gestures. In Connor, there was a sedate affection, but nothing to indicate he would light any deeper fires within her. Excerpt from The Long Road Home by Julia Swan. Chapter 9. Past. The gym was dark and the sounds of Madonna's popular song, Crazy For You, were drifting through our school's smelly gymnasium. 
It was the old gym, set towards the back of campus. The rows of carved wooden bleachers had been there since the school was built and were now filled with sweaty students. Years of school dances, lunches, and sports matches had been held in this smaller gym. The student body had outgrown the space in the 80s, and the district had long since built a larger space they called the main gym. Now the smaller gym was reserved for school dances, student senate meetings, and other less important events. Fifteen couples were slowly swaying to Madonna's smooth voice. The DJ had already played the requisite Quiet Right, Come On, Feel the Noise, Guns and Roses, Welcome to the Jungle, and Bobby Brown, My Prerogative. Most of the crowd was drifting towards the doors, knowing the lights would be unceremoniously flipped on in about ten minutes, as soon as 9 p.m. came. Peter's hands lightly gripped my waist. I could feel the heat of his body radiating towards me, where his hips and chest were pressed against mine. Touching anyone in this manner was not common for most kids my age, and it felt foreign and forbidden. I glanced around, expecting a teacher to pull us apart at any second. Peter seemed undefected by anything going on around us. We had not come to the dance together, but we had agreed to meet up with our respective group of friends. As with many of our peers, we were trapped at that age where we were too young to be seriously committed and too old not to think about our futures. There was also pressure from nearly everyone around us to publicly announce we were a couple. I was unsure about calling Peter my boyfriend, despite the fact that he seemed comfortable calling me his girlfriend. I had never really had a boyfriend, and the knowledge that I now had one was both powerful and scary at the same time. Unlike me, Peter seemed completely at ease with our relationship, whatever it was. He always seemed to know what to do in every situation. He was already there when Cindy and I got to the dance. His small group of guys watched as we came into the gym in the semi-darkness. We had carefully planned out outfits with matching neon skirts, white tights, and white button-down polo shirts. Our white keds were so bright they seemed to glow in the dark. Our group stood unmolested for about ten minutes before the boys slowly migrated in our direction. Peter held back, standing sedately with his friend. He didn't even look in my direction. I pretended to ignore the way he was ignoring me. Inside my stomach was jumping around wildly. As was his custom, Peter was casually dressed in a pair of faded Levi's and a bright green Mossimo shirt. His dark hair was neatly combed and he looked wonderful to me. Cindy gave me a knowing look. Go talk to him, stupid, she commanded as she gave me a gentle shove in the right direction. Awkwardly, I stood a few feet away, waiting for Peter to notice me. We hadn't spoken in a while and we never danced together. Given the current look of things, I was sure the entire dance would pass with Peter and me on opposite sides of the gym. This was new and uncharted territory. Was I supposed to ask Peter to dance? Was I supposed to wait for him to ask? Before I could decide, Peter came over and grabbed my hand, pulling me onto the dance floor. His shirt was slightly damp where my hands held onto his back. He moved in time with the music, unlike most of the boys his age that had no clue what being on the beat or having rhythm meant. All too soon, the last notes of the song began to fade and Peter slowed. Can I walk you home? We both lived a couple of blocks from the school. Our parents also knew we were responsible, so they didn't worry about us walking home alone. Peter took my hand and waved to our friends. The evening air was crisp and slightly chilly. We could see our breath as we walked. The street lights lit our path as we made our way down F Street toward home. We were quiet then, both of us thinking. Halfway home, Peter suddenly turned to me. Can I kiss you? He asked, slightly breathless. It was a situation I had been thinking of since I was a little girl, but nothing could have prepared me for that moment. Peter stood in front of me, hands in the pockets of his jeans, his forearms showing new muscle from working at the produce stand. His thick, dark hair was freshly cut, short on the sides and longer on the top. He still wore braces to correct a slight overbite. My heart was pounding in my chest as I nodded the affirmative. Are you sure? He pressed, searching my face for some sign that I didn't want what he wanted. I met his eyes as he moved closer. He took my face in his hands like he'd seen it done in the movies. Brushing his lips over mine, he moved slowly away, watching my face. Disappointment washed over me. Is that all? I demanded, sure that there was supposed to be more. I'd read my fair share of romance books, and this was not the way any of them described a first kiss. Peter looked bewildered. What do you mean? he asked. 
looking at his hands and then back to my lips. That just isn't how I thought it was supposed to be, I told him in my most authoritative tone. He sat down on the curb and looked at me sternly. You mean what you read in those cheesy romance novels you're always sneaking to peek at when you think no one else is looking? Cheesy? I gave him my best offended look. You don't know anything about them. He wasn't buying any of it. I read through a few of them, and they're a bunch of crap, Julia. No, they're not, I argued defensively. He grabbed my hand, holding it in his. Yes, they are. That isn't how real life works, Julia. How do you know, Peter? I shot back. Peter smiled. Just look at her parents. Real love isn't guys on white horses riding in to save the day. Sometimes love is real life people doing normal things, like providing for their families and loving each other. Well, I believe in the spine-tingling romance, the toe-curling kisses, and delicate shudders during bouts of passionate lovemaking for hours and hours, I insisted with a stubborn tilt of my head. It was all completely ridiculous, but I was too young and naive to know that. Wrapping my arms around myself, I tried not to let myself feel disappointed that Peter did not think of romance in the same way that I did. He snorted. If that's what you're waiting for, you're going to be pretty disappointed in life, Peter told me firmly. He sounded mature and sure of himself. How had Peter grown up so much faster than the rest of us? Can you at least be open about the possibility of that? I don't think I could be with someone who wasn't at least open to the possibilities, I pleaded, hoping he would get the hint and kiss me like I'd been dreaming my first kiss would be like. You think too much, he told me. Standing up, he pulled me with him and turned me toward home. Clearly, he was done with the conversation. Reluctantly, I followed him. Why did he have to be so sedate, so boring sometimes? It seemed like all he wanted to do was work at his parents' store and do exactly what they had done when they were his age. Those things appealed to me about as much as getting a root canal. I wanted adventure, passion, travel, excitement, all the things a little town like Snohomish was not equipped to provide. I'm serious, Peter. Do you really see yourself stuck here in this pokey little town for the rest of your life? We are not having this conversation right now, Julia, Peter told me, calmly grabbing my hand. Why not? I demanded. He grabbed my hands and looked at me face to face. We're too young to start talking about all of that. That's why. Come on, our parents are waiting for us. I paused for a moment, trying to be rational and fair. Maybe he was right. Maybe it wasn't worth arguing over. In the end, I let him grab my hand and lead me the remaining three blocks to my house. The porch light was on and we stood in the street for a few moments, breathing in the night air. The conversation still echoed in my head and I felt a growing sense of unease. Ignoring my frown, Peter hugged me. He was still skinny, but he'd grown in the last year and now he stood a few inches taller than me. I suddenly realized I had to look up at him for the first time since I'd known him. I had fun tonight, he told me. I abandoned my thoughts of the future for the moment and sighed. I did too, I admitted. I'm sorry for being such a pain. He laughed. You need to learn to appreciate the little things around you sometimes. The little things? Like kissing on the front porch, I asked with a wiggle of my eyebrows. Our eyes met and caught. Just as slowly he moved to me, lips parted slightly. Our breath mingled, his hand moved to the back of my head, and I closed my eyes, leaning into the kiss. This time, the kiss was the way I thought it would be. We broke apart, both surprised and breathing heavily. Go inside now, Julia, Peter warned me, pushing me toward my front door, as if anticipating my thoughts. I capitulated, turning the knob and opening the door. Talk to you tomorrow? Peter nodded. Good night, Julia. Jane spent half of her time in high school figuring out ways to avoid running into Connor's sister, Veronica. The most effective method was going home during lunch and leaving immediately after school. Then Veronica got pregnant just months before graduation. This left her sufficiently occupied so that harassing Jane was no longer a priority. She graduated from high school with an infant. Mysteriously, no one knew who the father was. Excerpt from The Long Road Home by Julia Swan. Chapter 10. Present. I had not intended to go to the town hall meeting. I had too much to do and absolutely no desire to spend any more time than necessary with the residents of Snohomish. 
My mother had other ideas, and after a day of convincing, otherwise known as first-class professional guilt trip, I was sent to spend the evening doing my civic duty. Luckily, the town hall meeting was being conducted at the old high school gym a few blocks from home. This meant I could always slip out early if things were too boring. The walk from my parents' house was pleasant as the fall afternoon turned into evening. Surprisingly, I managed to fix my hair and actually put on makeup for the event, which was a big deal for me. While I walked, I noticed the changes in the houses around the high school. Many were exactly the same, but everything looked smaller now, like somehow I had grown larger, but everything else stayed Lilliputian. As I neared the designated location, I noticed a handwritten sign in black sharpie directing attendees of the meeting into a set of red painted doors. The door handles were brass and stuck slightly when I tried to open one. Basketball practice had just ended, and a few teenage girls were gathering equipment as adults were setting out folding chairs. It felt strange to be back in this gym all these years later. The place still smelled like sweat and gym socks. I didn't really have any memories of the gym except for school dances. Somehow I doubted a town hall meeting would change any of that. Can I help set up? I asked a stocky woman. She was dressed in a pair of yoga pants and a long tie-dye shirt. A mass of curly gray hair was stuffed beneath a red bandana. She smiled, showing two rows of yellowing teeth and a pair of inflamed gums. I had to keep myself from flinching. Sure, we're setting out rows of 15 chairs on either side of the front podium, she told me. Just follow the pattern we already have set up. Luckily, I was wearing a pair of old jeans, a shirt, and sneakers. Removing my leather jacket, I draped it over a nearby chair and started hauling chairs out of a closet in the back of the gym. The sound of my shoes squeaking on the floor was the only noise as the curly-haired woman disappeared to take a call. Fifteen minutes later, ten rows of chairs were set up on either side of the podium. After completing my volunteer task, I sat down on one of the cold metal seats in the front row and waited. Gradually, the community began trickling in. I watched the masses as they meandered in, some grabbing cups of burnt-smelling coffee, others stopping to chat with people they knew. The meeting was supposed to start at 8, but no one seemed to have a sense of urgency when it came to the start time. My parents came in a few minutes before the meeting was set to start and sat beside me. At two minutes after eight, a middle-aged man in a light gray suit wandered in and stood in front of the podium, scratching his head. For a moment, I thought he was in the wrong place. Then he pulled some index cards from a front pocket and tapped the microphone in front of him. He looked a bit like Bernie Sanders. Let's get this meeting started. He spoke with the cultured tone of a mature NPR announcer. The remaining community members milling around the back of the gym made their way to the chairs with styrofoam cups of coffee and stale cookies in hand. The sound of voices humming softly faded as the man behind the podium started the meeting. A few police officers, including Daniel Lincoln, made their way in and found seats near the front. As you may or may not know, my name is Doug Bartholomew, and I'm the head of the city council. He stopped there and started searching through his notes, unable to find what he was looking for. I apologize for my disorganization, but this meeting was requested just yesterday, and I have to be honest, I was scrambling at the last minute to get the information I needed. We normally have meetings once a month, my mom whispered. The voice in the podium droned on for about 10 minutes about housekeeping items. The canned food drive was coming up next month and volunteers were needed for shifts at the food bank on D Street, as well as the annual citywide cleanup event. There was a sign-up sheet going around asking for carolers who would be willing to sing at the Christmas retirement home tour. Someone had left a blue and red striped scarf at the last meeting and it was now in the school's lost and found. A woman hurried in and ran up to the podium, her long blonde hair streaming behind her. Someone with a gray Subaru had left their lights on. My dad sighed heavily beside me. He hated these meetings. He would much rather be at home puttering this workshop. Doug Bartholomew continued, Okay, so on to the real reason we're gathered here today. He paused for a deep breath. As many of you already know, we've experienced an increase in the number of vandalism cases in the last year. The crowd started buzzing at that point. Doug cleared his throat again and quieted the chatter. According to the Snohomish Police Department records, we have no fewer than 26 separate incidences since last fall. The previous year there were seven, and the year before that there were three. He paused to take a breath before continuing again. 
I think I speak for many of you when I say I'm concerned for the safety of our community. I'm even more concerned about what this increase in crime could turn into. A woman in the back row stood up angrily. Yeah, she shouted. It could start as vandalism now, but how long will it be until these little criminals are robbing stores and doing drive-by shootings? It was a bit of a stretch, but more than a few people were shaking their heads and nodding in agreement. A dark-haired police officer stood up. We appreciate your input, Nancy, but we need to keep this meeting going in an orderly fashion. Please raise your hand if you want to speak. Doug nodded and kept going. According to my estimates, the current property damage stands at approximately $250,000. Sitting just a few feet from the stage, I looked over and found Peter's sister, Kimberly, staring at me. Looking much the same as she had in high school, she was dressed in a navy suit and sensible brown heels. Unfortunately, Kimberly had Peter's masculine features on her female face. She smirked at me, crossed her legs, and raised her hand. Doug nodded at her to allow her to speak. Hi, Doug. I have some information to report on the vandalism, if I may. Doug shook his head for her to keep talking. She cleared her throat and continued. There have been some people saying nasty things about my boys and spreading rumors, but I just wanted to reiterate that my family is fully committed to finding the young people responsible for the past year's property damage. There was an immediate outburst of angry voices. Doug held his hands up. I understand that everyone is upset, but please let Mrs. Bishop continue. Bishop? The only person I knew with that last name was Justin Bishop. Was it possible that Kimberly had convinced him to marry her? I had to put a hand up to my mouth to keep from laughing out loud. Justin Bishop had been one of the most stereotypical cowboys that had ever graduated from Snohomish High School. He had graduated a year before me, but was well known by three classes before us and at least five after us. His family owned a dairy farm right across the bridge downtown. In addition to his numerous absences, Justin showed up to school every day in the same pair of cowboy boots that were coated in cow manure, worn wranglers, and a flat flannel shirt with the arms cut off. Anyone that sat next to him had to put up with the smell of cow manure and sweat. And like many of his classmates, Justin always had a chunk of chewing tobacco in his cheek. He could not have cared less about his education and had barely graduated from high school. Justin also seemed to have a secret or two that he had hidden well from friends and family before he passed away a few years back. I hoped for her sake that Justin Bishop was not the man she'd married to get her last name. Kimberly's sharp voice drew my attention back to the present. If people continue to blame my boys, my parents have agreed to help me hire an attorney to protect my family, she informed the crowd. We will not hesitate to initiate slander lawsuits against anyone who continues to accuse my innocent boys. A buzz started in the back and quickly increased to shouting voices. An angry redhead raised her hand. Doug nodded to her and she stood up. Your little brats are the ones doing the damage, she shouted. Kimberly shot daggers at the woman. I debated remaining silent and decided against it. There was no way I was letting Kimberly Daughtry get away with this. She had made my life hell growing up, and I was not afraid of her anymore. I raised my hand, and Doug signaled for me to speak. They did the same thing at my parents' house, and I have pictures to prove it. Rounding on me, Kimberly looked like she could kill me with her eyes. This meeting is for Snohomish residents, Julia. I do not believe you are currently a resident, unless you moved back in with your parents. Did you move back in with your parents? She asked snidely, trying for the low-hanging fruit. I ignored her. Doug's face flushed, but it looked like he didn't have the guts to stand up to the outspoken woman. Mr. and Mrs. Swan, we know about the damage to your yard, but there are other families with worse damage than yours. Mrs. Bishop, do you intend to have your boys make amends for their crimes if it's determined they are the culprits? Kimberly stood up. No. Actually, they intend to plead not guilty to any and all charges. We believe the real perpetrator or perpetrators are still out there. Oh, for God's sake, Kimberly, we have pictures of them, I told her, holding up my phone. She looked over at me with an annoyed look. It's my understanding these pictures are blurry and don't even positively identify any of them. A few pictures in your back alley are not real evidence, Julia. You certainly have no clear images of these young men actually doing anything. 
A woman halfway from the front hopped up without waiting to be called on. I saw them. I saw those little brats trying to burn down my shed. I can identify every one of them. I know for a fact that one of them was your son, Kimberly, she shouted, raising a fist in the air triumphantly. I hid a grin. An older man in an argyle sweater stood a few rows behind her. And I saw both of your boys spray painting the wall of the B building a few months back. A few more victims volunteered to identify the vandals, but Kimberly stood up again. This time she was a bit more diplomatic. I think it's very important for all of us to realize that these boys need their day in court. In this country, we are innocent until proven guilty. Let's not turn into a bunch of vigilantes just because we're overexcited. There was a loud grumbling and I heard a man behind me curse under his breath. Of course she wouldn't want to acknowledge the fact that her sons are the worst offenders, he growled. So what are we going to do to prevent this from happening again, my father asked, not waiting for Doug to call on him. Daniel stood up. We have a plan to create a local community watch program. But what about these kids? Who's going to stop them? An unidentified woman in the back demanded. Why not develop a community youth development program, my mom asked. I'm sure that if these kids had productive things to do with their time, they wouldn't be out there destroying other people's property. Doug broke in. I agree, but we should make sure there's an element of this program to assist the property owners in repairing their damages, as well as having the kids who participated in vandalism work off the damage. These kids are alleged perpetrators, Kimberly reminded the group. Any participation of these young boys in such a program would only be allowed when and if these kids are proven guilty in a court of law. Of course, her sons would never be guilty. Daniel looked at me and I gave him a wan smile. Sensing the group was about to erupt again, Doug clapped his hands. On that note, we'll end the meeting. I would like to ask the parties who are interested in initiating any new community programs to submit proposals. Please submit all information before next month's meeting, and we'll determine what needs to be done to start. The meeting ended with that suggestion, and the crowd began to disperse as I helped the hippie lady put the chairs back. By the time I was done, Kimberly was waiting for me outside the gym like a bully waiting after school. I drew in a deep breath, wishing I'd left with my parents. I had absolutely no desire to talk to Peter's sister. What can I do for you, Kimberly? I asked her, swinging my purse over my shoulder and praying she wanted to talk about something besides her obnoxious kids. I wasn't that lucky. And as I started walking, she followed me. I see you came back with your tail between your legs, she observed in a sing-song voice. The reason I had come back was none of her business, but I contained my immediate reaction and turned to face her. Her blue eyes were coated in black eyeliner with a thick layer of mascara. It was clear that her makeup routine had not changed much since high school. I chose my words carefully. Oh, I wasn't aware that you cared. She grabbed my sleeve and I spun around, ready to defend myself if needed. I don't. But it took my brother a long time to get over you. He was doing a good job on getting on with his life, and then you popped back up like a bad penny. Snorting, I pulled my arm away from her sharp red nails. Her voice reminded me of a villain in a bad movie. I think Peter's doing fine, Kimberly. He told me himself yesterday. This seemed to irritate her even more. She came in at a different angle. Her eyes were like blue daggers. I don't like you, Julia, and I never have. And because you've sold a couple of copies of your stupid books does not mean you're a success. Was that jealousy? I chuckled. I think my bank account would contest the fact that it was more than just a couple copies, Kimberly. Actually, it was about a half a million, but that wasn't the point. Why are you back here stirring up trouble, Julia? She persisted. I gave her a look of barely concealed disdain. I had never liked her either. Ever since we had met in junior high, she had made it abundantly clear she disliked me for no apparent reason. Did you forget my parents still lived here? She glared at me. Visiting your parents for a few days is one thing, but moving back here because you can't make it in the real world is quite another. Peter isn't going to be here to rescue you this time, Julia. This was more than I was willing to deal with now or at any point. Listen, Kimberly, I started more than a little sarcastically. I know you think you're Peter's little pit bull defender, but I want to remind you he's an adult and he doesn't need you to protect him. 
That being said, I have no interest in reconciling, rekindling, or reuniting with Peter in any way. To my tremendous relief, Daniel chose that moment to come around the corner. Hi, ladies. Is there anything I can help with? He asked innocently. The look in his eyes told me he knew exactly what was going on. Peter's sister instantly dropped my sleeve and rearranged her face into a blank look. Nope. I was just saying goodnight to my old friend Julia, she said with a small shove, heading back towards her Chevy Malibu. Daniel turned back to me with an understanding smile. Can I walk you home? My parents still lived a few blocks from the school, and I didn't particularly want to be walked home, but I plastered a smile on and said yes. It couldn't hurt to be walked home by a cop. After all, Kimberly might circle around and try to run me over. So Kimberly is pretty intense, isn't she? He asked me with a knowing look on his face. He had no way of knowing about the bitter rivalry between me and Kimberly Daughtry through the years. Yep. She's a bit much, I agreed. Thanks for rescuing me from her laser beam eyes. He chuckled, buttoning his jacket as he walked beside me. She looked like she would love to throw you to the ground and stomp on you. I was sure there was no way he could not know how close he was to the truth. I used to date her brother before I went to college. She never thought I was good enough for him. I shared that information with him, suddenly aware that it was the first time I had said the words out loud. Again, I didn't realize he'd been part of my relationship with Peter all those years ago. He gave me a knowing smile. I was here, remember? Oh, sorry, I apologize. I keep forgetting your little Daniel Lincoln. He laughed again. Not so little anymore, and it probably doesn't help that you broke Peter's heart. There was nothing I could do about the small-town gossip networks. These same moms and ex-students could not keep anything secret, and never seemed to forget about anything. That was a long time ago, I laughed. When we reached my house, I stood with my back to the porch. The motion detector flashed on, and I stood in a ring of light. It felt a bit like being in the center of a police interrogation. To my surprise, Daniel said something completely different than I expected. Can I take you out sometime? He asked, taking off his hat and holding it under his arm. I swallowed, trying to moisten a mouth that was suddenly dry. The situation was not what I expected, nor was it one I was comfortable with. How in the hell was I going to explain this situation? This isn't really a good time for me, I told him, hoping he would not make me feel guilty for saying no. After all, the Peter drama and the craziness with my parents, the thought of dating was the furthest thing from my mind right now. I'm sorry, I added quickly, not wanting to hurt his feelings. He smiled warmly and gave my shoulder a reassuring pat. I understand. There's no need to apologize, he said as he headed to his squad car and climbed in. Talk to you soon. His car was parked across from my house and he waved as he drove away. He really wasn't a bad-looking guy. Maybe I should have let him take me out. I hadn't been on a date in months and it wasn't like men were pounding a path to my door. Oh well, it was too late now. As if on cue, I opened the front door and was assaulted by the smell of fresh-baked goods. Drowning my sorrows in cake was probably not a bad way to go. Pulling up a chair, I let my mom dish me up a piece of cake the size of a dinner plate. Why not? Grabbing a fork, I dove in with gusto, attempting to forget the day's issues, at least for the night. Katie was the kind of girl that inspired sympathy in everyone who met her. Jane kept her as a friend, not because she was particularly fun, interesting, or loyal. The biggest influencer in keeping Katie as a friend was her brand new shiny red BMW. This car meant that Jane had a way to escape her boring life. Bringing Katie along was simply a necessary evil that came along with having the freedom to leave her small town, if only for a few hours. Excerpt from The Long Road Home by Julia Swan Chapter 11 Present After a night of tossing and turning, I pulled up in front of McDaniel's Dewitt Center and turned the engine off to my car. As usual, I had not slept well, and I was feeling unusually tired and sore. Peter was waiting by the door, silent and disapproving. I was not in the mood for judgment or conversation filled with hidden meaning. I just wanted to get this project done and get back to my own issues. Ignoring the look from Peter, I made my way to the front of the store. You really don't have to do this, I told him, pulling out a cart. I'm perfectly capable of getting this from my mom by myself. He frowned. I know. I don't have to do anything, Julia, but it's typical of you as usual to assume this is about you. 
My eyebrows rose, but I kept my mouth shut. Evidently, someone beside me had woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Peter grabbed another cart and headed briskly towards the garden center. As he walked ahead of me, I noticed with some degree of irritation he still had an alarmingly cute backside. Shaking my head, I hurried after him, determined to keep my thoughts focused. The last thing I needed right now was to get caught up in appreciating Peter's numerous good qualities. Luckily, his grumpy demeanor was making it easy for me to focus on the task at hand. We moved quickly through the rows of potted flowers that were organized by size, color, and species. Peter grabbed a couple pots of wild pink roses, some red, some purple, and some yellow, setting them gently into the cart. Why did it bother me he remembered my mother loved roses? He pulled out three or four pots of yellow flowers and set them in the cart as well. Wheeling the cart towards the end of the plant area, he pulled out a couple bags of soil and a couple of fertilizer. Like everything else he did, his moves were quick and efficient. Clearly, he didn't want to spend a minute more with me than was necessary. I stood there studying a row of rhododendrons with tightly coiled purple and yellow flowers. There was a University of Washington husky flag sticking out of a small tree in a blue ceramic pot. I smiled as Peter kept moving, periodically adding plants to our overflowing carts. Was there really any need for me to be there? Just when I was contemplating telling Peter I was leaving, we were interrupted by the sound of Peter's phone ringing. He pulled it from his pocket and pressed the talk button. Hi, Meg. Yeah, I'm still at McDaniels with Julia. Rudely, I refused to move away and give him privacy for his call. I was sure this must be his girlfriend. Peter's tone changed. It was definitely more familiar than a co-worker or casual acquaintance. My mom told me he had not married after all these years, but she remained quiet when I asked if he had a girlfriend. It was almost as if she thought that if she didn't talk about it, it couldn't exist. But this girl did exist, and I could hear her voice as proof. Instantly, I was annoyed. Couldn't this girl be apart from him for an hour or two? Or maybe she knew Peter was with me and was uncomfortable with me spending time alone with her boyfriend. I chuckled to myself, imagining an attractive but mottled red face yelling at him. I had no idea what she looked like, but I knew she would have to be pretty. Peter was still a good catch after all these years. Straining to hear, I found myself leaning in towards Peter. Seeing my nosy interest, he moved away and dropped his voice. His face looked pinched and angry. He was a bit more guarded as he spoke into the speaker of his phone. No, it'll have to wait. I was dying to know what they were talking about. Again, I moved slightly and leaned in as close as I could without looking too obvious. Peter's head jerked around and he caught me trying to eavesdrop. Make yourself useful, Julia, and go get some plant food, he snapped. Don't get mad at me, I grumbled, heading back towards the front of the store where I'd seen a special deal on the plant food brand my mom liked best. Jeez. I had just grabbed a container of miracle Grow when I heard a voice calling to me from a few feet away. Julia? Is that you? Julia Swan? I turned to the sound of the familiar voice and found a large blonde woman standing in front of me. Her face was vaguely familiar with deep black eyebrows framing pretty blue eyes, a cleft in her chin, and lips painted in a familiar bright pink. Gorgeous blonde hair fell past her waist, just as it had 20 years ago. She was nearly 50 pounds heavier than she had been all those years ago, but still just as lovely. Despite the fact that I wasn't in the mood for yet another reunion, it was time to act normal. Well, if it isn't Cindy Swiner, I proclaimed, acting appropriately surprised after all these years. Cindy had been one of my only friends through junior high and high school. Evidently, our friendship had only been surface. After we graduated, we hadn't spoken for 20 years. Now she was standing in front of me like I was her long-lost best friend. Laughing heartily, Cindy reached out like she was going to hug me. Hugs were not my forte, and I quickly put the containers of miracle Grow between us, smiling awkwardly. It's so good to see you, Julia, she gushed, reaching over and squeezing my arms instead of hugging me. She was smiling so widely, I was sure her face would crack. So what are you up to these days, I asked her conversationally. Peter looked to still be on the phone, so I thought I might as well kill some time. Nothing much. Same old, same old. Not married. No kids, she told me, fiddling with her name tag. 
She looked sad, like this was something that caused her physical pain. For a split second, I felt sorry for her. I'm a manager now, though, she told me proudly, smoothing a strand of honey blonde hair behind her ear. Cindy came from a very wealthy family, and there had never been any reason why she needed to work at a hardware store. Congratulations, I said, unsure of where to go next. No, don't congratulate me. You're the one that has done this town proud. I read both of your books, she told me, beaming as if she had written part of them herself. Unlike anyone else I had spoken to so far, she didn't seem bothered, even though one of the less flattering characters was clearly her. It was strange and slightly uncomfortable seeing Cindy after all these years. Of all the people I should have kept in touch with through the years, Cindy was probably the one. We'd shared so many secrets. Fortunately, Cindy did not seem to share any of my sense of regret as she chatted happily like we'd never been apart. I looked around for Peter, hoping he was done with his call and ready to go. Well, I really should go. I'm getting a few things from my mom and she's expecting me back. Suddenly, Cindy caught sight of Peter and a familiar look of recognition crossed her face. Her look told me she was reading more into the situation than was actually there. Grimacing, I tried to back up towards the door, but it was too late. Cindy was looking from Peter to me and drawing her own conclusions. I always knew you'd come back, she whispered with a conspiratory wink. What you and Peter had was too strong to walk away from, wasn't it? I snorted. Humor was the only way to deal with this situation delicately. Maybe if I pretended this whole thing was a joke, she'd stop looking at me like I was here to get Peter back. You're too funny, Cindy. I gave her a few pats on the arm and a wide, fake grin. She looked hurt. I'm serious. Everyone thought you two would be the first to get hitched. I rolled my eyes. We were not. And trust me, it's a good thing. Cindy stiffened and looked hopeful once more. Well, you never know. Maybe something might be rekindled. She always had been relentless. Cindy, you know as well as I do that Peter has a girlfriend now. There was a look on her face that I knew could only mean trouble. They have been seeing each other for almost five years now. Believe me, if he was serious about her, he would have pulled the trigger by now. A slow grin spread across my face when my suspicions were confirmed. I laughed out loud, and Peter looked up sharply. I'm sorry, Cindy, but I need to go. It's been good to catch up. Let's go out sometime, I offered, hoping she would say goodbye and disappear into hardware store history. Instead, she pulled out her cell phone. I'd love to. What's your number so I can call you? I had absolutely zero desire to go out with Cindy, but there was no way to delicately refuse without looking like a snob. Reluctantly, I gave her my number and headed back towards Peter. She was beaming as I walked away. Thankfully, when I got back, he was done with his own conversation. Trouble in paradise? I asked innocently. He gave me a look that I knew well, even after all these years. That's none of your business, Julia. His voice was ice cold. Sorry, I mumbled, hoping we were finished with our impromptu shopping session. The winds had changed and Peter was now positively glacial. I'd never been a fan of his bad moods and I wanted to get away from his angry eyes as fast as I could. I turned my cart, hoping to make a beeline for the register, but I had pushed too hard and Peter was not ready to move on. Grabbing my cart, he stopped and faced me, ready to do battle. You know what, Julia? Apology not accepted. You can't just waltz back into town, disrupt everyone's lives, and expect all of us to just cater to your every whim. Just because you made money off nasty things you wrote about us doesn't mean you have the right to control anything about our lives now, he growled. My mouth snapped open and then shut. I had expected some blowback, but the sharp edge to his voice was positively brutal. I never assumed that anyone wasted any time thinking about me, I argued, shifting one of the pots in the front of my cart. A few of the leaves were starting to turn brown, and I gently pulled them from the stalk and tucked them into the plastic pot. Peter plowed ahead. You always did act like every little thing was about you, Julia. You are and always have been a selfish, immature, manipulative little brat, and I can't for one moment say I'm genuinely happy you're back. I'm glad you made something out of yourself, and some people are happy for you, but for God's sake, Julia, stop making everything into something it isn't. But, 
I tried to speak, but trail off when Peter held his hand up and glared at me, effectively silencing what I'd been about to say. You did some really awful things to a lot of people that cared about you, and you can't expect to just come back whenever you feel like it without dealing with the consequences. I couldn't even get a word in edgewise. He continued again without waiting for my response. I've kept in touch with your mom and dad because they're good people and shouldn't be punished because their daughter's a bad person. There's no other reason, Julia. Your mom asked me to help fix her garden and I said yes. I didn't agree because I want to spend time with you. I'm doing this for your mom. That's it. He was glaring at me and a small vein above his temple was throbbing. I gritted my teeth and resisted the urge to defend myself. There was a slight flush above his bearded cheeks which told me to keep my big mouth shut. Okay, I hissed, swallowing hard. I think you've said enough, Peter. People are staring. A few other shoppers had stopped their carts and were staring at us curiously. A woman with frizzy red hair and multicolored poncho was eyeing me with narrowed eyes. She had a small Pomeranian and a half a gallon of paint in her cart. It was a red Starbucks cup in her hand. She took a sip of her coffee and nodded to Peter. A twenty-something couple in matching Seahawks jerseys had stopped on the other side of a row of palm trees and was watching us as well. I wanted to crawl under the nearest aisle and disappear. Let them stare, Peter growled, his eyes locking with mine. Who cares what they think? A contractor in a pair of paint-stained work pants and a tool belt was glancing at us out of the corner of his eye. He had no cart but was pushing a pallet on wheels toward the plumbing area. I had no idea what else to say to Peter. I leaned in, getting so close that I could smell his aftershave. I'm sorry if I hurt you, I whispered, hoping I sounded sincere enough to appease his anger. His face was unreadable now as he tossed a couple cans of weed killer into the cart. He didn't even bother looking back at me. Apology not accepted, Julia, he told me, heading toward the register. To my ultimate irritation and embarrassment, Cindy was there waiting with a knowing look on her face. She greeted Peter with a warm hello and a big hug. Looking back at me, she gave me an I told you so look. She obviously had no idea what our conversation was about. Grimacing, I waited as she rung up the items and placed each one into the carts much slower than was necessary. I made a move to give Cindy my credit card, but Peter glared at me until I put it away. I'll call you later, Cindy whispered with a wink as we passed her register. Without another word, Peter wheeled his cart towards the door and briskly walked to my car. As soon as we were done loading items we had purchased in the back of my SUV, Peter headed for his car. Tell your mom I'll be back later, he snapped, and drove off without another word. I stood there completely baffled and watched him drive away. That is the end of today's podcast. Tune in next week to hear the next chapters of my novel, Returning to Snohomish. Thanks for listening. If you want to email us, you can check out our email address from the show notes. Or you can keep up to date with us on our social media on Twitter or Instagram at podcast.addict. If you know an author that would like to share their work or if you have feedback for any of our authors, please send us a message at the email address that is listed in the show notes. That is it for tonight, fiction fans. Stay smart, keep it real, and always support your local authors. Bye! Thank you.